Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Olga Chin, CEO and founder of Enterprise Technologies, a capital markets treasury management platform that's raised over $10 million in funding. Olga, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Brad. Happy to be here. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe just a bit more about your background? Sure. So professionally, I'm a former investment banker. I used to guide large companies through bond transactions. Did that for almost a decade and then started Enterprise in mid-2020. Personally, I'm a mom of two kids, and I also immigrated from Russia in the late 90s. Wow. So 10 years in investment banking, and then you made the jump in, what did you say, mid-2020. So a lot was going on in the world in mid-2020. Was that a scary time to make the leap? Right in the middle of COVID. No, I think it actually worked out perfectly for us. Great timing. And what did your friends and, and family and, and colleagues think when you left behind what I would imagine would be a, a great career to go into the unknown of, of starting a company? Did people think, man, Olga's lost it or did everyone just get it and, and see it right away? Uh, family was incredibly supportive. So that's one. And I actually have this theory that if your family is not supportive or they are supportive, that's actually half of the battle. Mm-hmm. The big story is that I actually convinced one of my biggest partners in the company, Dylan, to join me out of banking. He joined even before I went full time. So that shows you how much support I actually had. Wow, that's amazing. And as you've made this shift to CEO and founder, what's been like the most difficult change, would you say? I think a lot of it is just all about the ownership of it, right? So I'm a first-time founder. I don't have necessarily the backing of a big bank anymore. And I also had to learn things through trial and error. There was a lot of different like fundamental questions that you have to ask yourself, like, do you have what it takes to lead a company? from that perspective. And that's been probably the big change is not having that like credit backing of the bank that's always going to support you. And now you're kind of like on your own. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And two quick questions that we like to ask really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one is what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? So that's actually an easy one for me. I'm not going to say, you know, Steve Jobs or someone like that. So one of my closest friends from college is Artem Petikoff, he's a co-founder of Noom, uh, their health app, although I'm sure that's not the best description for them. But I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this have heard of them. So Noom started out about 15 years ago. And just like talking about it in 2023 makes you realize that nothing is an overnight success. But Artem is just this like incredible human being. And obviously, I followed the journey from the very beginning, but strictly as a friend. And now that I read some of the articles that he does where he talks about how difficult the journey has been, and to be honest, I just never realized that as a friend because he's always maintained such a cool, positive attitude, never letting it go to his personal life. And now, you know, over 15 years later, his company is a huge success, but he is one of the most down-to-earth friends I have. So I don't just admire his grit and perseverance, but I also really admire his ability to just be himself no matter what. Nice. I love that. Yeah, we've interviewed 30, I think the last count was like 37 unicorn founders on the show. And when you Google them, you see all the positive stuff, right? And they just look awesome. They look so successful. And every one of them comes on and tells the pain and talks about what really was happening behind the scenes, the near-death experiences they had. And I think it's just very valuable for founders to see that, you know, 
it's not all the glory that you see online. There's a lot of pain and a lot of struggle that happens behind the scenes to to make something work. Oh, 100%. You read about Noom and how Artem would say that he almost ran out of money several times. And I kept thinking, like, when was that? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I love those types of stories. Now, what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? Yeah. So in the same context, there's a book called Learn to How to Take a Punch by Brett Fox. Um, I don't know if you've heard about him, but completely invaluable to me. There is a story, like it started out very personal. It's a story about like how you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you check your email, your heart is racing and so on. I just found that to be so relatable. And it's helpful to know that, hey, others have gone through similar struggles, not just professionally, but also personally. So yeah, learn how to take a punch. Nice. Any author with the same name as me? Sold. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> uh, Brett, Brett J. Fox, right? I think so. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. I always love hearing about new books in the podcast. That's always fun. Now, let's switch gears and let's talk about Enterprise. So can we just start with the origin story? Take us back to those early days and, and let's talk through that. So the origin behind Enterprise actually goes back to my days as a banker. So when I was a banker, my job was to advise companies on their funding plans. And the way that it actually looked is that I would sit there, monitor the market all day long, and then I would call clients and say, hey, I think that you can fund, which means borrow money from investors for 10 years at you know XYZ percent, right? And I would send that in an email, I would send that in, like, in pitch books, and I would go visit a lot of clients. And I remember there was actually this dinner that I had with a client who is based in Nashville. And I would I sat across from their CFO and the treasurer and say, hey, guys, you like you have a lot of dinners with us. Like we fly here every six months and we would meet, we talk about the market and we'd have dinner. But you have like 30 different banks. And the treasurer says, oh, yeah, you know, we meet with them for dinner all the time. And my wife already knows that Tuesdays and Thursdays are banker dinner nights. So you're spending like all this time on this. And then we got into, well, I'm sending you a ton of emails. Are you actually looking at them? Like, are you monitoring the market with me? Like, well, what's happening behind the scenes? And he goes, well, yeah, but, you know, it's just really hard. Like, there's just so much information and you're just one of the bankers at a specific bank, right? And so a couple of drinks in, I, I'll never forget this conversation. It was like, well, wouldn't it be great if there's something that just like pulls it all together? Like something really simple where I can see everything at once. You can communicate with all your bankers at once. And I remember he said, and again, keep in mind, it's like a couple of drinks in. I don't think he was that serious about it. Although he remembers saying this and he goes, let's do it. He, like, I'll go on 50-50 with you. And I was like, that's interesting, right? And so, And after that, I actually had another conversation that kind of changed my life a little bit. I spoke to the CFO of Kraft Heinz, this guy, David Knopp. He actually went to the same school that I did. That's how I knew him. And so I called him up. I was like, David, like, you know, you obviously know what I'm talking about. What do you think about this idea? And he said, look, it's great. Like, I'll fund you. And at that time, we were raising our pre-seat round. So I told him about that, that I was thinking about doing this. And he goes, oh, I'll just fund the, like most of the pre-seat round. And he did. He actually like, sent me a check. And so all of a sudden, you have all this support. And you're like, well, I have to do this, right? There's something that tells me that I absolutely have to do it. And so that's actually kind of the origin behind it. And what do you think he saw in this to back it and to be the first money in? What do you think was exciting him the most? Good question. I think he saw how his treasury team was struggling with a lot of these proposals. He was also out of 3G, the private equity firm that backed Kraft Heinz. So you have so many different bankers coming to visit. And as a young CFO, he also had to learn a lot of the bank relationship management. 
So I think for him, that was probably just like the overwhelming nature. Like, hey, I'm a young CFO. I'm getting all these like proposals. My treasury team is coming to me with all kinds of ideas on this. As he was trying to like, grasp all of that, I think that's probably it. But that's actually a good question. I never asked him that. I should I should go ask. <laughs> <laughs> I love 3G Capital. I read a book uh, a couple of years ago called Dream Big that really just told the whole story mm-hmm. about how they approach business and how they think. So that's fascinating. I, I forgot that... Uh, yeah, they own Kraft Heinz, right? They do. And that's actually like a completely fascinating story. Uh, we're going off script here for a second, but if you go visit them, they actually have like this tiny office and they're able to handle so much. So from that perspective, it's an incredibly impressive story. Yeah, it's so cool. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, let's talk a little bit about the actual solutions. So let's pretend that I'm a ideal customer for you. What's that pitch that you're making to me? Well, can I actually flip it around a little bit? So you're a consumer, right? Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it's a little easier for me to describe exactly what we do. So imagine that you, Brad, are moving to San Francisco uh, and from the Hamptons, and you are trying to buy a house. And in San Francisco, you probably want to take out a mortgage, and you can do it in two different ways. So first option is that you call up a bunch of banks and you say, hey, I want to take out, you know, a 30-year mortgage. I want some to see some different proposals. And they sent you, this is like 10 years ago, they would send you these packets, you know, 60-page documents with all kinds of disclaimers. And somewhere in there, you're going to find your 30-year mortgage, right? And you can sit there, you know, with these like huge stacks of documents and kind of compare them all. Or you can do it the way that a lot of people do it right now. You can sign into like bankrate.com or Rocket Mortgage or whatever it is. And you can kind of see like all the comparisons for you and you can answer, you know, a few questions and it spits out, you know, as close to a rate as you possibly can. That is exactly what we do, but for very large companies. So if you're somebody like Kraft Heinz, you can log in and you see all of your banks, you see all of the costs that they're proposing, whether you want to take out a loan or a bond, or if you want to do commercial paper, you want to do hedging, you see everything at the same time. Mm, Super interesting. And could you just paint a picture for us of what it's like right now in these corporate treasury teams? Like, what's a day in life like for them? What's keeping them up at night? Just if you can paint a picture there, that would be super fascinating to understand. So when I was a banker, I had this perspective that, hey, a treasurer is sitting there like a trader and all they do is they just want to, you know, issue deals, 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 right? Not the case. They do so much in terms of the reporting from, you know, the financial side. There's a ton of like regulatory compliance stuff. There is a lot of cash management, to be completely honest, like tracking your cash internationally. Forecasting is a huge piece of it, trying to move cash around, trying to make sure they can fund, you know, business in the U.S. If you have cash coming in somewhere overseas, that probably describes how companies operate day to day. Having said that, they also must fund businesses. And that's a huge focus for them as well, in addition to relationship managers. So I sometimes always talk, you know, people ask me, like, what is a treasurer? Right. And that's when I talk to people about it, they're like, well, they imagine this treasure in the funny story, like sitting in a dark vault and you're just like counting stacks of dollar bills. Um, <laughs> that's how I picture it. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's really not the case. You know, it's a very sophisticated person who is, yes, they do manage cash, but at the same time, they also, you know, manage the funding plan, they manage the forecasting, they report to the CFO, they report to the board. 
you know, there's risk mitigation, there's hedging, there's so much. It's like a combination of trader, banker, treasurer, CFO, all in one. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And what are your views when it comes to your market category? So I had introduced you as a capital markets treasury management platform. Is that the category or what's your market category? So I think treasury management is a market category. So our focus is on that. But that is a very large category. It's a vast market, encompasses a lot of companies right now that handle cash for like startups, for established corporations. But our aim is actually to carve out like a subcategory within that. And our subcategory is that we deal with a funding aspect of it. So it is closely related to cash management. So think back to like the bolt and the dollar bills. But the two are separate areas that, you know, just like affect each other. So from our side, in terms of this creating of a new subcategory of like the funding piece of it, there's still a ton of, I would say, like evangelizing, but we're also within a familiar category of broad treasury management tools. And to be completely honest, like I've seen so much adoption within that market in the last decade from like all kinds of different angles. So in a sense, like we fit in with something that's familiar, but yet we give you tools to think about funding and liquidity in a completely new way. And do you have a name for the new subcategory? Or is it really just defining and articulating the problem at this point? I should come up with a name. Um, I would say it's like the funding side of treasury management as opposed to management piece. Got it. Makes sense. And you you mentioned evangelizing there. What are you doing to really evangelize this new idea and this new subcategory? Well, we have a ton of supporters for that. So when you think about you know how we even sell the product and where we've seen the most traction so far and the most adoption... What a lot of companies care about is what are their peers doing, right? So I want to be the best. I want to be the best in class. What are my peers doing from that perspective? And that's really the evangelizing piece. So we go sector by sector and we create adoption that way. And then we, our clients actually help evangelize it, which has been kind of the best way if you think about it. Yeah, for sure. If you can unleash your customers to do that for you, I think that's always the most impactful. We're trying. <laughs> Well, it seems like it's working. I'm looking at the numbers on the website. I think it was, what, 75 plus Fortune 500 teams are using this or treasury teams are using it. What do you think you've gotten right? How did you pull that off? How did you get you know these big, big companies to, to trust you? Because that's something that I think all startups struggle with in the early days. So in the very, very, very early days, I had several supporters that have known me as a banker. So that's the true story is that, you know, my I think my first client was Jeff DeMars out of Nutrient. and he knew me when I worked with him at Walmart. So I had a couple of clients uh, from that perspective. So reputation was pretty important. But at the same time, I think that the value proposition was so unique and kind of like related to a lot of people. And we've also done a couple of things in an innovative way because, you know, Brett, to be honest, this concept has been very much tried in the past, just not successfully. So right now, you know, if we go back to the analogy of cash management, you would probably never think that, you know, if you have five different bank accounts, there there's so many different platforms that aggregate all of this. So you don't have to log into every single bank account or every single credit card. But on the funding side, there's nothing like that. So some people have tried it, but the reality is that, look, if you want to do like data aggregation, right, of pricing proposals from banks, the easiest thing to do is to have all the banks submit data directly to you, right? Yeah. And all you need to do is just display it in some kind of like an intuitive way. The problem with this is that it relies on banks actually being happy to submit this data. And usually, like, if you're approaching a big company, you know, we're talking about Nutrien or like Decatur or eBay, who we have as a client, they work with so many different banks that by the time that you actually, you know, get to every single bank and ask them to submit their data, decades can pass. 
So that path is absolutely great unless you have a few years to convince the banks. And that's always been our vision as well, but we wanted to create this like immediate adoption. We wanted them to see every single bank. We wanted to be completely seamless, you know, like a one click kind of thing. So that's actually what we figured out. We figured out a way to inject all this data automatically and that created adoption. It was almost like magic. We literally refer to magic because everybody's like, well, how does that data get in? And I literally say like magic. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. And what excites you most about the work you get to do every day? So in terms of that, I've always considered myself to be an introvert, funny enough, but I get this like emotional high from talking to our clients. One of the most surprising things to me, and we just you know talked a little bit about that, is how much support we actually have from these treasury teams. It's almost like people want us to succeed. I never really felt that as a banker. I'm not sure why, maybe just because there's so many bankers out there and you know they all provide different kinds of advice. Uh, but from that perspective, we get so much help from corporate treasury teams. And a good example of that right now, we're focused on this bank adoption that we just spoke about on the platform. And we have corporate clients that literally volunteer to call their banks to voice their support of us. And that's pretty huge in terms of the bank adoption. Or we have um, clients give us referrals happens all the time. So not only am I super grateful for all this, but honestly, that's probably why I get up to do this every single day. And if we zoom out into the future, let's say three to five years from today, can you just paint a picture for us for what that vision is for enterprise? Sure. So in terms of that, does anybody still trade stocks over the phone? Not really, right? Everybody knows that you just log into your brokerage account, you click a couple of buttons, the market is displayed, you see the liquidity, you see a few helpful statistics, but imagine if the funding markets for companies were actually the same way. Not a whole lot of paperwork. You just log into the platform, see all your options, see all your banks, see all your rates. You click a few buttons and that's literally it. And that's where we want to get to. Amazing. I love it. Olga, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build and execute on this vision, where should they go? I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Otherwise, send me an email, olga at enterprisetech.com. Amazing. Olga, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything about what you're building. This has been super fun. I've really enjoyed it. I know our audience is going to as well and wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.